0: Hello and welcome to Maven's Athenaeum, where you'll find magic hidden in plain sight. I'm your host, Maven, and I'm so excited that you're here with me today.
1: I love this book, but I feel, I'm mad that I can't remember the names, especially since I usually remember things better when I hear them. That's There's okay.
0: So
1: many people, but I remember the stories.
0: I'm I'm, just like, oh. <laughs> I'm prepared to look it up so that um, me and you and our listeners can understand them better.
1: Yeah, so I don't have to resort to uh, my syphilis. <laughs>
0: but also, um, I think it's totally fine for us to mispronounce them. Uh, oh no, somebody will send us an email or message me on my Instagram at the oh happiest gosh, pumpkin to tell me how to pronounce these words.
1: Interaction.
0: <laughs> no we definitely do so speaking of that um, there's a there's a poll for the next book up on Patreon and Instagram already I basically put the two books I'm either on the verge of finishing or in the middle of and then one new book and then if I know you're following me on Twitter, but anybody who might be listening, if you haven't gone and checked out my Twitter, I tweet while I'm reading. And definitely my favorite part of the book has been recorded in history on Twitter. Please go
1: check out the Happiest book on patreon.com. Go for our next book on
0: the you have. Show <laughs> some love and I showed you the artwork I yes. spent like an hour this morning cutting out the amphora that I drew and refilling it in where the hands were so that's the sticker for this month and then I made a bookmark with um, I think it's either the last line or one of the last lines in the book the, that really powerful quote The oh I get, I'll mention it Hi, everybody. I forgot to put in our script the trigger warnings for the book. I do want to remind everybody that A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes is the book that we are discussing this month, and it is a book about war. War is not pretty, and if any of the things involved in war or that I'm about to say are upsetting to you, This podcast episode might not be for you, and the book might not be for you, but that's okay. So the trigger warnings are as follows. Sexual assault, rape, death of husbands, fathers, women, and children, and suicide. There is also slavery and some talk about brutality against slaves. Um, Did you have any announcements with your art last time we told everybody where to follow you and you could do that again if you want. I can do again. Follow me if you want to. No. I think it
1: was kind of confusing when I listened to it because I spoke so quickly but I've taken my website down to eventually make stickers but I'm lazy so gotcha. it's going
0: to be a while. Are, are you ready for my attempt at a summary? You did one last time. I'm going to try this one. I believe
1: in you. You are a powerful person, and this is right up your alley.
0: You've got it. So I feel like a full summary is almost impossible because of the amount of perspectives, which was a necessity. But the narrative is 43 separate perspectives, which I did go and count my hand because I forgot Google existed, but they kind of melt into each other with like appropriate breaks. I really liked reading it and it was hard to stop when I needed to. I think most were internal monologues or prayers to gods or letters. So there was a little bit of hidden mystery, but also intimate detail that you would only get from like that person's perspective. The story moves through the Tr- Trojan War and the end of the Odyssey. So it's about a 20-year period rotating between the, quote, present for the Trojans and Greeks and then the recent past for them. Penelope served as a consistent Greek viewpoint, writing to Odysseus about how the bard's singing in her halls, and she's getting fed up with his shit, and how long can one woman wait, your son's grown up, you're an asshole. The Trojan women perspective sort of goes through all the different women that are left behind after the fall of Troy. It kind of centers more on the royal family and those close to them, like Hector's wife, who's like their sister-in-law. And then there's the goddesses, the titans, uh, embodied spirits, nymphs, and townswomen. I really think that uh, this is the best way to absorb the Trojan War. Because I knew the base knowledge of the Trojan War. That it was... Like, okay, so when I was in high school, we learned it was probably true, but we hadn't found evidence yet. Recently, there was evidence that a city did exist on the Trojan archipelago and it could be Troy, but also, like, any city could be next to the water. So I don't know. It was a really nice perspective to be like, oh, yeah, there are people after the war there are other people who suffer who aren't just like the soldiers in the trenches like you were saying with your World War II narratives that like it affects more than just one part of the story oh and and the quote that uh how did we decide that we were going to pronounce her name Calliope Calippe, Calliope I read Calliope
1: Calliope
0: <laughs> all right we'll go with Calliope Okay, so Calliope's quote at the very end that I put on the bookmarks is, A war does not ignore half the people whose lives it touches, so why do we? And when I read that, I was like, oh my god, profound. Yes. Uh, this m- book blew my mind. Yeah, I thought it was especially powerful because of how it uh, put
1: in personal perspectives. And uh, well, like you said, I consume a lot of World War II novels and that's partially because uh when you look at history and uh, mythology by the way like the definition of this doesn't mean something is untrue it's typically just an event where there's uh, like a historical event uh, with people explaining some like natural or social phenomena so something that involves supernatural beings or events it doesn't mean it's untrue um and i suspect there probably was a real city of troy and there definitely was some sort of event
0: it's um, like explaining the unexplainable, like before we yeah. could grasp science, like, you know, birds flying. Oh, well, the wind yeah, gods yeah, carrying it's, them.
1: It's just one of those things where uh, typically we hear the word myth and we say, oh, that's just yeah, But the technical definition of an event typically means it's just an event that has some fantastic belief behind it, whether it's true or not. But I like to own the realism that uh, putting in the perspective of not the soldiers, but the other people affected into it, like, it made it very relatable to other war narratives that I've read, and I thought that was a very powerful thing to do. And there was another one that I remember standing I don't remember exactly what it was, but it said something about men losing their lives in a war, and then the women and children lose everything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was very powerful.
0: There was a line like that in the book that was, that I repeated back to Robert when we were talking, um, that, you know, it was something along the lines of, yes, men defend the city and they're doing their duty that way, but what happens when they die? What happens to their women and children? They're left defenseless because their defender has died. So
1: many times throughout this book you kind of wonder, I suspect the fate of the survivors children is worse in many cases I remember there was something else that was talking about uh, people who survive wars and become pictures I don't remember exactly what it was have trouble living with peace afterwards and Mm -hmm. that to me was interesting as well because it does change people and uh, I know that a lot of World War II veterans because this is the only thing I can really relate it to don't talk about their experiences and they have to live with things afterwards Um, and it does change people and peace is never really complete peace for them Mm-hmm. but yeah it was a, it was an incredibly powerful book um what were your favorite like parts or things that you found relatable more particularly enjoyable
0: throughout it so like i said i i was doing my first bout of tweeting while i was reading um and i remember tweeting about how relatable athena was i always resonate with the athenian archetypes when she's presented in media And when I got to the chapter with the goddesses in it, I was like, okay, you know, I'm I'm always open-minded about what the Athenian archetype will be. Because everybody sees the gods and goddesses in different lights. And even though I worship them, that doesn't mean that I have to like how an author portrays them. But this one was spot on. She gets down on Paris's level and goes, okay, you've heard the other two's offer. We're all standing here in front of you naked. I can give you, and then her owl lands next to her and he goes, Is that your owl? NO, NOT MY OWL! YOU CANNOT HAVE MY OWL! Like, I screamed, I was like, that's me. That, like, without hesitation, that is me. I'm enough. I, I, it has to be a neurotypical trait. My whole family will validate it, that my stuff is my stuff. You don't touch my stuff unless I tell you you can touch my stuff oh, I felt that in my soul. And then how she backtracked and was like, I'll get you a different owl. <laughs> if you'd like. And he's like, no, I'm good. He just genuinely wanted to know, like, there's this freaking owl here. Is it yours? Like, that's <laughs> tempting, admittedly, but. I just... Uh, okay, so... you. I think you told me a little bit about how what you liked. Was there anything that you disliked?
1: Mm-hmm. Honestly, I enjoyed the entire book. For me, it was interesting. I'm not well versed in Greek mythology, although I do remember in uh, high school in particular, uh, my family used the Greek courses, which are fantastic. So most of these myths I've heard in some form or another. It was hard, and that, like recognizing some of the names. I like, oh how. No, no, I know how. I know what's going to happen. Like I know that Hector's. Uh, wife would survive, and that her son would be killed. You know, he was just a baby that ruined to be because I
0: love babies. Wait, you knew that was gonna happen? I knew
1: that was gonna happen. I knew that from, like, the courses and stuff. I'm like, I know uh. he's not gonna survive. Maybe they'll change something in this
0: book, but no. No, I seriously had hope. I was like, she's making a good case. Like, she really could go raise him up in the mountains to be a sheep herder, and you know, like, just never speak a word of it, and, like, the the Greek being like, No, he'll put two and two together. Have you met men? It's
1: it's um uh, just like with all of it, it's like it was just enough to remember like, how oh, no, I knew that people were gonna die and I think it was the pretty slow moment because I I don't know if I'm saying this neighbor I worked with who's like, No, oh, you gotta you gotta burn that horse crap for the age because you're gonna have the church horse outside. I remember from my Latin class we had to like read a passage where he was killed by snakes. <laughs> That's just, like, I do know going to happen here, too. So I think the worst part about the book was that there were going to be so many unhappy elements in it, but that didn't necessarily mean it was unenjoyable. Um, I enjoy that all of the characters from like, it to the moments really very human. But I think that's something with, like, the Greek deities that is kind of, real, like, a... Uh, I don't know if I should say realistic are really to anyway, because they're not, uh, they have all the pettiness and probably a little bit more, because they're not powerful beings, they can actually make things happen.
0: Right, um, it follows kind of the, um, evangelical ideal of, like, made in their image, that if, if we are fallible, so are they. Exactly, and, uh, yeah, I really enjoy, I
1: especially enjoy, you know, these weird spots between, like, all of the. like if you think you're a real problem with this on the books, you really should. I, think you do it this I don't think he would like to know if he was
0: portrayed, but... Um, Was there anything else that you loved about the book where you were like, okay, this might have been, you know, I don't know, a three, but this these made it made it worth it? Well, I figured
1: it was definitely not a three but I especially enjoyed the hell he's one of her super-husband Odysseus just because they were so fun written, and, uh, it, it were humorous to me. Um, I, I enjoyed how the book was written, so there's the muse, will sometimes interject, have her own chapters, where she's communicating with a poet who is supposedly writing this down, But I really love that it was told from so many different perspectives and in such a clever way. But the best part was, in my opinion, just when Penelope was yelling at Odysseus for not coming home and for going on all these adventures and putting himself in danger and not just coming straight home like he ought to.
0: I mean, I agree. I don't know if those were the chapters I was recommending to you, but I know when I was reading Penelope's chapters, I was like, yeah, you're right right, it was
1: funny and ironic too, she's very, very, and the voice that the author chose to write myself so was uh, very funny.
0: Yeah, I think the author did a good job with representing the women as she did.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and also on that note, um, as you guys know, if you listen to the last episode, I typically will default to Audible because I'm busy and I don't actually read, but... The audible version of this
0: book is actually read by the author herself, because of the pressure, so... And I appreciate you letting me borrow your audio- audible so that I could hear how she read my favorite scene. That's truly all I wanted to hear. It was perfect too, like it was exactly how it went in my head. My my life is complete. She read it the way I would've, which was what happened. Like, it's all canon. I Everything's right with the world. Okay. I want to move to questions, and I want to do this, Robert finally explained to me how 20 questions work, because I've lived under a rock my whole life, and I don't know how normal things work. Um, From what I understand, 20 questions is where I ask you a question, you answer, and then I also answer, and then you ask the next question, and it repeats like that until we're done with questions. Is that right? I've also lived under a
1: rock, so we're going to trust Robert, and he seems to have a head on the shoulder
0: alright, Robert, you're the authority figure here, you better listen to this podcast, you get to go first. Oh, okay.
1: Um, So, I think this was a question from a fan, but do you have to know a lot about the Trojan War to read this book? What do you
0: think? I would say no, just because I liked basically relearning about the Trojan War Not that my history teachers failed, but they weren't the best, because we had a crunched curriculum and um, we just glazed over the topics, you know? I'll learn more about it in college if that's something I wanted to learn. But this was more in-depth, like I had never really considered what would happen to the survivors of the war.
1: Yeah. I thought it was interesting because no you certainly don't have to know a lot about it. Uh, if you're like me and you know not about the legend, but you're just like, Oh no, everybody's going to die. You kinda know what to expect. But I think I think it's enjoyable enough to just simply have that very small in-depth look at it. Like you don't have to know anything about the church or if you have no interest in like Greek mythology or anything, it's just don't be a you'll enjoy it. Having that added element where it's told totally from like, an intimate perspective of somebody experiencing it, and it makes it feel very much like a reality, and it's told in a way that, well, like I said earlier, it very much more part of the to like the accounts for World War II that I read a lot. I think it's very, very well done, and I think that just adds such a, I don't want to say a relatable element, but it humanizes it in a way it makes it real, real, as opposed to reading like a good person trying to back of
0: these things, but right. it often. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Calypso's chapters, Calliope, Calypso? I don't know. I am gonna say it different every time, just cause. Um, but so Calypso's chapters. A lot of people on the author Q and A said that they were useless and they could have gone without it. Um,
1: I think that most people who tried to leave most comments, I would probably uh, have some strong words for. It. I personally thought they were very really funny, but I loved the interjections and made me think a little bit of thinking. Like, uh so oh, if you watch a TV series, there's always like a little bit of comic relief. If you watch like Avatar, the last year of my it kind of makes me think of a cabbage Man. It's kind of a little bit of like a comic relief in a way, but I also thoroughly enjoy that you have this muse who is interacting with this poet who's going, I can't write this, it's too sad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of how real life works, or it's sad. Yeah. It's funny on the one hand, and the brief respite but at the same time it's also like yeah this
0: is like all of the stories of like individual people they're not just numbers they go through this Uh uh-huh that's what i liked about it as well is that just just how sassy she was because i read the author q a before i read the book to kind of like i don't know mull over those questions while i read because i end up creating a lot of questions and um i was prepared to hate those chapters, but every time I got to them, I was like, Oh, yeah, what's he doing now? What is he doing now that is so annoying? And it, I mean, it was something. So, like, you know, but like you said, he was like, Oh, it's too sad, tragedy, boo hoo. And she was like, I am the muse of epic poems. That is combined tragedy. Like, rub your brain cells together. I'm sorry you don't understand what epic poetry means. Just. It was perfect. (laughs) Loved it. Yes,
1: and I enjoyed too, and she's like, what well, he says, sing news, it's like, hasn't he ever heard of the word, please? <laughs> so like, she thinks that just his views. I thought that was hilarious, because I know that, um, as people who are heard some like, don't well, to my work walk sometimes, uh-huh. part of me is like, what are you, my muse? he's off there, and this going, you know, I've got other people I talk to, you're not the only one, you haven't said please or given me anything in a while, so why should I talk to you? It just made me chuckle, because I'm like, yeah, I, I know how he feels, but <laughs> there's a hypothetical muse out there, and it's just like, you know, I've got other things to do, so I just thought it was, I thought it was an interesting way to write, and an interesting area of advice, but also funny, and kind of profound at times, too, I think adding that extra, I don't want to say I'm breaking the fourth wall exactly, but just that extra, I don't know, perspective made it more powerful, in a way.
0: I agree. So
1: I remember that uh, we had uh, texted about this briefly and wondered which poem do you think was trying
0: to write this epic novel. I actually looked it up, so I know which one she was meaning it to be. That's she. I know it is. I don't care. I ruined Game of Thrones for myself this way. It's how I will be till the end of my days.
1: I get anxious in a book, and I'll, like, skip ahead a couple of chapters and check chapter the pages until I see the name of whoever, just to make sure
0: they're still alive and they're not dead, so. So since I cheated, do you want to answer the question first, and then I'll tell you if you were wrong? Well, I'm
1: pretty sure I'm going to be wrong. I thought about this for a long time, and uh, part of me wondered if maybe there is no specific comment that Clark is like, well, it's got to be Homer, or, like, one of the big ones that we know. But at the same time, the stories of like the women and children was untold. Mm-hmm. So, Courtney's like, what if this was a poet who doesn't actually exist? Maybe this is somebody who is made up because we never got that extra perspective. That's so what I thought. A real
0: poet. I was like, you know, she's ta- telling us how, like, or uh, maybe it wasn't Callippi, but. You know, poems get lost to the ages, and the surviving epics we have are just that surviving. So maybe, yeah, these ones got lost, but I uh, I did look it up. It's Homer.
1: Hi, yeah. I'm not surprised, but also I'm just like, nah, all right.
0: Oh <laughs> okay, all right. Who do you think was truly more heroic, Hector, the defender of Troy, or, oh no, Winoni I. It sounded like Winona Ryder, but because I looked it up, Winone. She's Paris's wife, and she does. So Hector is the Trojan defender. He's one of um. The sons of Troy, one of the multiple, and he's like supposed to be the rival of Achilles. But when he falls, he get his body gets dragged around the walls. But he is one of the like sole defenders of Troy, and people paint him as a big hero. But then there's also Paris's wife, whose name I'm going to butcher again. She fell in love with him when he was sent from the city to um, grow up as a sheep herd and gave him a son. And then he just decided, deuces, my lady, I'm going to go confront my dad and be like, yo, why did you abandon me? And she's like, um, he'll walk it off. He'll get tired. He's not going to want to walk all the way down the mountain. And then all the way up the Citadel, he'll, he'll turn around and he'll be back by dinner. That's not what happens. He gets whisked away to do, the judging for the apple and then is given Helen and never and like comes back with his dying breath and she says no fuck you and die hmm. well, so i think that typically when i've heard
1: stories of this in the past like hector is always been as the hero mm-hmm. She's not really mentioned too much in the story so i think it's hard to picture him that way um because it's mostly we just hear about the stories of his death there's not too much emphasis on him because one of the things that i think is so interesting about the story is it's pretty much told i think exclusively from the perspective of women Mm -hmm. so we don't really get too much about Hector beyond like his grieving wife and mother and all of that so i think it's hard to look at and say oh yeah definitely hero, because there's simply not as much information so I feel like by default, since we get more of the amount of perspective and things, I would have to say that, uh, we're just kind of calling from a because I suck at names. And it's sad, too, because, like, they were read to me by the author herself, but there are so many perspectives in this and they're unique names, that I'm just like, right, don't know who that is. I remember the stories, but not the names. I, I would have to lean more towards her simply because it's not, Hector isn't Yeah. Like, he just
0: isn't depicted that way. I don't know. I would pick Hector because, like, traditionally that's what a hero is. But I don't actually know, like, the full comprehensive definition of hero. I don't think what uh, Winona did was wrong, I just think it wouldn't be classified as heroic. Um, this was a question that was posed in the book, actually, not something that, like, I mean, I guess I pulled it out of thin air, but in the book, it kind of presents this question, like, people say that Hector is a hero, but what about me? I think was in her chapter. And, like, I don't know if I see that as heroic, just more of, like, I'm setting a boundary, and, like, I don't care that my dad let you in. You suck. You abandoned me. Oh, you, you want to come back for literally everything I gave you? Well, it sucks to suck, and the only reason that you're able to come here is because I didn't want to move.
1: That's valid. I kind of wonder if maybe the definition of a hero is somebody who sacrifices themselves to hopefully save others, in which case I would agree that I definitely really more heroic. I think it's Betsy and Admirable that uh, Paris' wife would well, say, nah. <laughs> I-, I would call her brave or admirable if that makes sense. Hector didn't necessarily succeed, but he was brave and he tried. So I think, in that sense, yes, it's just there's so little about him in the story, really. But it's like in this particular narrative, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know.
0: That's a fair point.
1: I know that in the last book that we hmm would about a child was perhaps all this? I don't know
0: would be. I think we did. I think the princesses of Troy were under twenty. you want to know like more of the intimate details of like the perspective of what yeah, happened to him so
1: much of this entire family um, and <laughs> like he's- I think it would have been interesting if she had done something, which is a little bit like a chapter from what was happening to her. But I think it's also a different perspective to tell if you're not, if you not somebody who eventually does that or work. I think it would be more of a challenge.
0: But I would have been interesting to, interested to see. I don't know. I feel. Like the Trojan princesses kind of showed enough of that. Like Polyxena and Cassandra watched their father die. Cassandra was raved. I mean, Cassandra has to deal with a bunch her whole life after the whole Apollo thing. But like the daughters, they suffer. I mean, she sacrificed. Iphigenia the princess from the Greek island whose dad was like, yeah, come, come marry Achilles. We'll set you up, right? And she was only 14. Wow. Well, yeah, it was me thinking about the other who was fed, so now I vaguely remember hearing part of this where like, she was demanded as a sacrament. So, hold it's
1: like, yep, yep, that's what it is. Okay, I guess she was coming too. It's such a big book where there is so much of it where it's like I almost feel like it's better if
0: you don't know what's going like to happen. But I don't know. I don't know if it's it's better knowing that everyone is going to probably meet some terrible end. Oh, speaking of that, what did you think of uh, Hector's widow's fate? Um, Hecabe's. Yeah. Um, like H- 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 daughter oh, uh, Hector's daughter. Oh, Hector's wife.
1: Andromache yeah
0: the yeah i know who you're talking about i don't know part of me i caught myself saying oh well like at least she had a happy ending but it really wasn't like she was happy with hector she felt safe and like lost her family and and found a new one and then it got taken away from her and even though like she had a son and was treated better that's I, she's still in through a shitty traumatic experience so like I don't know on one hand I was like oh like you didn't die but also you're a slave I, I
1: had trouble with that as well because I was trying to decide and it's like on the one hand she does have a form of happiness but mm-hmm. it's not really complete. but at the same time I think when horrible things happen and thank god I've never lived through a war or anything like that it does break and change but at the same time she kind of gives, I don't want to say a feeling of hope exactly, but it's kind of nice that she has sort of a happy ending. It's not perfect and it's its broken and then rebuilt. But it's like, at least somebody has something in the end, but it, it, it's still not truly happy, exactly.
0: Right. It's a settled sort of acceptance.
1: Yeah, or like, healed but scarred, maybe, is mm-hmm. like another
0: good way to put it. It's like,
1: I, I wasn't Disappointed necessarily with her ending. I think it was true to reality in a way. It was kind of nice that you know, at least one person survived.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did this change your historical viewpoint?
1: I would say no, because uh, part of my interest in history is just individual stories and experiences, which is part of why I enjoy World War II stuff so much, because that's so close enough to our, it, it, you know, it was like 80 years ago, but there are still people alive who remember the aftermath of that war, who are very, very old now, and maybe fought in the war, or through it, or I mean, there are people who had relatives who survived it.
0: My great-grandpa died just a couple of years ago, and he was a World War II flying ace. Okay. There are enough people that you can still talk about, that it's, it's relative, and,
1: like, you still know people who live through something like that, so, as far as my historical view right in general. As facts and deeds, but it is the story of individual people, and there are so many stories that will never be told. But I thought it was fascinating and kind of wonderful that somebody chose to do that with a myth that is so far in the past. And I I think it's very powerful because. It does make you stop and think about how events impact individuals and I think when we're looking at history or in the modern day, you know, we see blips of things on the news and it's like for us, we're far away from whatever the event is, you know, it's just something where we think, oh, that's so sad, that's poor people and then we move on with our lives. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that are like literally life altering and crazy. It does make you think about the bigger picture a bit more.
0: For me, it did change it because, like I said, my history classes didn't go in-depth and I really did just think of it as like this, just this thing that happened in time that didn't really matter. And I guess it, it doesn't to me because I haven't had to experience anything from it. But after reading this, it did make me pause and remember that, like, like you were saying, people lived and died through... If not the fall of Troy, at least an experience similar enough that enough people wrote about it and it scarred an entire population. So it changed my viewpoint a little bit. I used to think of it, I don't know, with sort of reverence and a gloating ego from the Greek standpoint, because I've always leaned towards Greek and... You know, part of me was like, well, I mean, like, that's what the Greeks do, is they sail and pillage, and they conquer things. And Like, Helen had her dad made a pact with all the people in Greece, all the kings of Greece, to be like, whoever marries Helen, you have to make sure that she stays with him. And she knew that. And all of these men went to go rescue her. And I used to think, you know, that's, that's what the Greeks do. But now, I was more like, okay... Did they have to, though? Like, sure. bound, great. Achilles dragging Hector's body. Poor sportsmanship. The way that they treated their prisoners? Tragic. And I hate it. And I would like to unassociate myself with the Greeks if I wasn't worshipping the pantheon actively it really changed how i thought of things like there's not really a good or a bad side on war odysseus made a really good point that they were oath bound they were doing what was expected of them by their great king and it's just his it's his thing in life to be ruthless and cunning and that if they didn't want to be pillaged and sacked that they should have handed over helen but then i agree with the trojans that like They should have just left him be. Helen wasn't going anywhere. Nobody was going to make her do anything against her will. She needed to leave of her own volition. Right. But to me, again, because I'm obsessed with World War II, like, one of the biggest excuses that a lot of the
1: Germans used it is, like, I think that as many of the German people were trapped under a bad system, just from literature I've read, like, people growing up in it, a lot of them didn't want the war. That was just the reality. And ordinary people are capable of horrible things, or they get swept up in it, or they live under it. It's complicated, and it's one of those things where people always say I was just doing my duty, like, or following orders, and it's like, that's true, but at the same time, it's like, you have an individual choice, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, but also, did you really
0: have to do that, though? It's like, it's complicated, and I think this book illustrates that very, very nicely. Right, and that's how it changed my viewpoint. I, because I used to be hard and fast, like, the Greeks were in the right, like, sucks to suck, Troy, loser loses. But also, like, you know, it's not just one person versus one person, in you know, like like, arm wrestle. It's people versus people, and it's luck and sustainability, and who has the upper hand on the Monday it rains. It's a complicated thing that I definitely appreciated having my mind opened up to and not having that single-minded viewpoint that there was a, a victor. And a loser. There was lots of winners and lots of losers.
1: I think history and uh, myths are probably at least rooted in historical fact, is nothing greater. Whatever the case may be, and they're often kind of shown as black and white. We forget how many nuances, chance of gray there are, and it's always so much more complicated. And uh, I think it's something to bear in mind, just in everyday life just because it, it's easy to look at something and say okay it's sorry it's, it's bad but it's like it's more complicated than that people are always more complicated than that but yeah it, it's uh it's very very well written and well told and i think it was a very creative and a really brilliant really thing to deal with a myth. Historical fiction is hard to pull off, and I, I think that uh, it's because given that may not be true, kind of fall in a gray area, because i am convinced that there is historical basis around this. I don't know what it is, but, you know, this has come from somewhere. But I think it was very, very clever to do that with a story that's so far in the past that we can't necessarily look at it and pick it apart. Mm-hmm. But it's still rooted enough in reality that it resonates well. all of that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, cool. so uh, I think his name was Lao Cohen, the priest. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I heard about him in class. I think it was interesting that he was written about the way that it sounded disgusting and ugly, but he was also right. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know. I think it said something about that like, he had, like, uh, waved his crazy fist in the air or something. He was right, and he had common sense. So I thought it was interesting that they chose to. Was him in a way that was of these ugly and like he didn't know what he was talking about what he did what did you think of the portrayal of
0: him it's a very brief but i thought that was interesting. i don't know the perspective it was coming from kind of sounded more like the author was trying to portray that that specific person held disgust for the priest that they were unworthy of their station and unworthy of being listened to kind of like how they treat cassandra like up. Don't listen to her, just crazy Cassandra, spouting nonsense. That's kind of how I felt. Like they were brushing him off, and kind of doing that careless uh, word vomiting, just saying whatever comes to mind. Like that ugly old geezer. Like, is he actually ugly? Is he a geezer? It's kind of like, uh, when
1: people are thinking about the crazy people who stand in the corners and say, like, the end is here. It's kind mm-hmm. of That same vibe she's holding towards him.
0: Yeah. Just kind of like, ugh. Anything to avert your eyes. Anything to justify not paying attention to them. So like, being displeasing to the eye sounds like a really good excuse to ignore somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. I had one other question for you too. So typically because burnt offerings are offered to the gods, when you said we'll just light the horse on fire and then everyone else is like, we'll bring it and we'll use it as an offering.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It's like, how would lighting it on fire not be an offering? Like, does that have to happen in a specific location? Because part of me is like, why didn't they take it to a temple and immediately light it
0: on fire? I think that's what they were trying to do. Because I don't. There's a couple different ancient rituals for, like, giving offerings to the god. You can adorn the statues with oil and fine cloths, like, Cassandramus mentions in some of her chapters how like it's totally fine to sleep with Apollo's sacred cloth because it wasn't finished being embroidered yet. It wasn't for him yet. So like they could have been like, we're just going to put it here in this space where it fits while we embroider a cloth for it to dedicate it to the gods. Or, like, it's not the moon or sun time for burning an offering to the god we want to thank.
1: Oh my gosh, you know what that just made me think of? Do you remember when they're trying to think of an excuse for a they can't yeah, have a human sacrifice and they're just like, the stars are not in position? Mm-hmm. That's what it makes me think
0: of. I honestly think they were just really tired from battling and everybody came out to be like, where'd they all go? And instead of just going back inside and being like, great, let's sleep now. They, you know, made that choice to bring the horse in, and they were like, "Okay, great, they're gone. We have the thing now. Good night, everybody. Bye." Were you asking just me about the ritual things for the horse? Do you have an opinion on the ritual workings of the horse?
1: i don't but I, I totally would have lit that on fire just because i'm paranoid but also to me it seems like well that seems to be how a lot of things are offered
0: in general so mm-hmm. why not just light it on fire like that's mm-hmm. more than what i'm curious about that's Is kind of how i would have done fire. it i'd have burnt it i'd have been like burnt offering great they're leaving this horse um it's
1: like awesome it's made of wood right here let's just why are we
0: gonna move this Right, I wouldn't have even brought it into the city. I'd have just been like, "Great, cool, we'll go get it tomorrow or something." And like, if it at least observed it. But Athena was busy helping Odysseus be wise and cunning. She, she couldn't help anybody else be wise and cunning.
1: There yeah, clearly she was elsewhere because it <laughs> bothers me to know
0: that yeah, a giant wooden horse. That's not suspicious at all. I mean, it makes sense to us now because yeah. we're in the like, future, present. I
1: hate it that, uh, I don't remember what his name was, I just remember it was described as, like, it sounded like the hissing of snakes, and it started with S, like, the Greek who allegedly was going to be sacrificed and he had this sob story about how the horse was left behind as a sacrifice. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah, the guy who gets left behind is like, the red herring, like, I was supposed to be a sacrifice and I ran away. Well, like, the worst
1: part is I know that I'm, like, I don't think I'm always a kind-hearted person, but I try to be. It's like, I don't know if I would have distrusted him or if I would have been the a poor thing and just believed him.
0: I mean, you, like, you could do both.
1: Like, How do you know that?
0: Like, put him in shackles. And put him in a okay. cell. He's not gonna hurt anybody in jail.
1: Yeah, that was the thing that bothered me in part so much, because me was like, come on, guys. But I'm also like, okay, but I probably would have believed him because I... I don't know, I would have leave the best, but it's like, what would have been so wrong with, like, leaving the horse on the beach for, like, a week? It's like, you think that, I don't know, it's just, it's just like, I would, I would sleep on it for a couple of days and see <laughs> right.
0: what happened. Just give it a break. It's like, I don't know if I
1: trust
0: this. So this was something that I learned brand new when reading, but did you know that Helen was a demigod?
1: I had no idea, but it makes so much sense because I remember thinking, alright, it's a mortal woman who cares. Because you have all of these beautiful goddesses and supernatural beings, but it's like if she's a demigod, then it makes sense that she's so incredibly irresistible to everybody.
0: Right. It's like, okay. That's yeah, the only that's thing. That's the only thing that she has from Zeus is the ethereal beauty and seemingly unending longevity. Like, one of the myths of her is that like she has a youthful eternal beauty like she doesn't age and she is just beautiful um once the book reminded me that zeus turned into a swan to seduce helen's mother it made so much sense that she would be irresistible and like obviously cause chaos because of existing yeah and um
1: Just from how the author read her, I don't know what I think of Helen. I don't hate her.
0: I do. I know you do.
1: (laughs) But to me, it just sounded like, it's like, okay, if you don't choose this quote-unquote gift you have where you're incredibly good-looking, and uh, I think if you've ever been attracted to somebody who just seems very, very nice and sweet and perfect, like Paris, adhered to her. Mm-hmm. Part of me was like, I totally get it, like falling for someone who turns out to be nothing but trouble and causing all of this
0: war. <laughs> and it's like, I do We know both how. get that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, gee, that's relatable, and I, I hate that with the burning passion. But also, part of me is like, well. And part of me is like, I don't necessarily hate Helen. And the way that the author read her, she was just like, look, I'm literally just answering your questions. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Mm. I, if you want to, but like, come on.
0: I wanted you to leave my goddamn fucking city ten years ago, Helen. Get out.
1: Yeah, and the, the thing was, too, like, she kind of pointed out that Paris was sort of a spoiled brat who got everything that he wanted. She's like, uh-huh. oh, I could deny Paris. It and well, it's true. Mm-hmm. Because, they're like, literally nobody ever denied him anything. And all of that, like, spoiled, perfect little boys who are never told no tend to cause a lot of problems for people, so it's like I don't know it, it was different because I, re- I remember always hating Helen in theory but the way she was in the love part of me is just like well you don't choose how you look and it's like I think free will is definitely a thing but it's like if you're madly in love with somebody even if it's a crazy mistake I mean to me it's of like all right I don't hate her as much because if she's relatable in a way but also not Full of herself, if that makes sense. She's just, yeah, right
0: here. She's playing with the cards she was dealt,
1: yeah, and it's like, I I don't hate her. She's just like, Well,
0: I just wish she would have left Troy sooner,
1: yeah. It would have been nice, it would have been nice for everybody in the city, literally. (laughs) But at the same time, like, part of me wonders because, like, I she was quote-unquote given to Paris by Aphrodite. It's like, okay, you have divine beings playing with your faves. Mm-hmm. What would happen to her if she'd been like, oh no, screw this. But it's like, Aphrodite herself is so incredibly irresistible. I loved the way that they wrote about her, by the way. And how, uh, like, I think it was Athena, like, when she was talking about how she despised Aphrodite, but at the same time, like, she knew that she'd have to give in to her if she had it or through fits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, she's irresistible. Helen is described as kind of having a similar effect, just because it's like you mostly know, who don't even like her kind of crave to be around her. And mm-hmm. like, I know that, let's say Helen was a real person and had a personality and preferences and stuff, she might not want that. It might just be literally exactly the way things are. And it's like, if you can't do anything about it, admittedly, you can either play it up, which it doesn't sound like she did exactly, or you can just kind of exist with it and be like, yeah, this is how it is. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting way to depict her because I thought she would be very prissy and spoiled. And more, more than anything, she's just like, yeah, Well, here's how it is. You hate me too bad. <laughs> Can't do anything about that. Oh, yes. Were there any pirates in this
0: book? No, there weren't any pirates. Did you want there to be pirates in the book? Oh, every book is better. I mean, you could argue that the Greeks were pirates. I mean, they sailed in ships and then they plundered and they stole gold and, you know, made everybody's life hell and then burned things down. But that sounds maybe a little closer to Vikings. I don't know. Pirates pillaged and plundered. I remember, I don't remember what course it was, but there was some old joke about,
1: like, I think it was a Roman thing where they said that if you sent, like, a. The Roman guard with an unlocked chest full of gold coins somewhere. Like he was supposed to escort it safely. Mm-hmm. Like if it needs to be locked, every single coin would be in there. It's like if you sent a Greek, um, it could be like locked up, chained up. The chains could still all be on it, and you would not find the Greek or the gold by the time it reached wherever it was supposed to go. Odysseus. <laughs> right. What did you think of Odysseus's character, by the way?
0: I mean, I definitely see why Athena likes him, really do. Uh that's also, you know, the gifts that she gave him in the myths, that she gave him the cleverness and the wit, and that he was just using it so expertly that she was attracted to him, not in the like sexual way, but like, I wanna see where you're going with this.
1: I kind of enjoyed him too. Like he's very much an anti-hero but he's also clever and
0: unconventional I liked how he helped yeah. Hecube with um, her revenge like yes. I'm gonna here's, here's your old friend no she's not mad at you heckabe comes out of a tent you and then just thank you so much for helping me avenge my son's
1: Yes, and I think that was partially why I enjoyed Penelope's letters to Odysseus as well, because she's him for one thing, but she also knows him and loves him, and you can tell it. She's serious mm-hmm. with him, and she knows him very, very, very well, but she also, like, she's exasperated by him, but she also loves him very much and just knows him so perfectly, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh I know that from the stories they eventually are reunited and there's mm-hmm.
0: so, like, go kind of like, a core happy ending. Why'd you go off adventuring for ten years? You dork. But his midlife like, crisis. A are you okay. are are you ready for the last and final question that I um won't let you not answer? You have to pick a side. Sure. Alright, so Polyzina. Hecabe and Priam's daughter, who I would presume is the eldest, she but she is her mother's caretaker and sort of the strong figurehead. She pulls her shit together when Cassandra kind of loses it. Um, she gets taken away and is gifted to, uh, I think it's Achilles' son, and yes. she sort of realizes what's going on right before it happens and accepts it and her reasoning is that it would be better to be dead than to be a slave. What do you think? Would you choose death or slavery?
1: Um, you know, I think the American in screams, you know, death before slavery. I, I think that's true, but it's like you never really know until you're in that position. But like, looking at what your future would look like as a slave, um, you know i think about uh hector's widow and things ended kind of more or less happily for her in a way and it's like i think that that broken kind of happiness she was very very lucky but in general with the fate awaiting you if you're a slave woman i personally would rather die than endure that and it's like unless you got extremely lucky somehow and somebody actually ended up quote-unquote caring about you in some capacity which i think is possible but it's not very likely i think you're probably better off dead than going through all of that. I don't know. It's it's always easy to look at it and say, you know, I would I would rather die than have X, Y, and Z happen to me, but you never know about it until you're in that position. And uh I think just from surviving trauma that's different, I'm very glad to be alive and to still have I think as long as you're alive, you can affect things in a positive way, but at the same time, most people living in our country, and our era, don't know what it's like to be slaves, if that makes sense. Like, we don't have a full understanding. We know what it's like to be more or less helpless in a situation. So part of me says, as long as you're alive, you have a chance to change things, but our society isn't structured like that. And the other part of me says, you know, death before slavery. But it's like, I don't know, it just depends. I would lean more towards death but you never know until you're in that situation, if
0: that makes sense. Yes. I personally uh, would not change my mind on this. I would choose death. I don't care how it would happen. I know the uh, general outcome of most female slaves, and it is one of my greatest fears. So I know I it wouldn't change my mind regardless. You're right with the uh, luck part that Hector's widow got lucky. She gave that man a son, and that um, grew favor with him, and he learned how to be a good dad and, like, at least a good uh, like sexual partner to, you know, not abuse her completely, but for a generic female slave, most yeah, times you're gonna get the shit beat out of you, some sort of menial labor, and sexual favors and that's just not my life
1: yeah it's uh it's just kind of questions like hopefully like we're not in a position where we have to choose but i think it's it kind of harkens back to that it's better to die free than like live oppressed or whatever you know, it's like as long as you have the right to make your own decisions you know that's part of being human part of being being a person is the ability to make your own choices and free will and it's like if that's taken away from you then so is your humanity in a way
0: yep so so what were your overall thoughts of the book and a star grading
1: i loved it i cried a lot i was a little <laughs> bit upset with you but really, i
0: knew
1: i would cry but um i would probably give it a 4.5 out of 5 just because i loved it very very much um I don't really have complaints about it but I'm, I'm super critical so it takes a lot to bring five stars out of me completely but I think it's well worth reading it's well worth buying and uh, if you're willing to purchase an audiobook it's well worth having the author or self read it to you it's wonderfully done, it's clever it's witty, it's imaginative and it'll uh, you know, it'll touch your strings and make you think about things like real things very very critically so I, I enjoyed it very
0: very much I loved it I can't believe I put off reading it for so long, and then I had to wait for uh, patrons and fans to tell me to read it. But I loved it. Six out of five. Uh, You couldn't pry it from my cold dead fingers. I would read it again if I cared to read things twice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely excellent. way, for anybody listening, see what peer pressure can do. Be sure to vote and make us read more books, especially Sydney, because you guys know what's
0: So last time we didn't get into the art and part of the reason I wanted to do this was to practice uh, making cover art for books. So I want to talk about the original artwork, what Natalie Haynes has, and then what I made. So would you like to describe it or you want me to? right now, but I can tell you that in a few different
1: covers of that, I didn't realize there were two um, I think they're beautiful, white but- it's definitely more of a graphic design perspective and one of the things I love about your art is there's more personality and things kind of seem to have a soul under your body but I'm definitely uh I, I prefer yours but uh, the book covers themselves are beautiful and the graphic designer did a good job but I, I will always choose I will always <laughs> choose your
0: illustrations so <sighs> like a quick description of the exterior of Natalie Hayden's book at least one I I have. Uh, I did, couldn't find the like credit, but it's a blue, dark blue background and a vase or an amphora with bold lettering and lots of different little animals and vegetation around the frame of the picture that correspond with like the goddesses and the lore of the story and it is the traditional red clay graffito color for the amphora. Yeah, and that's also what it looks like on the and then I think
1: the other one had some letters of ships with mm-hmm. a similar
0: color scheme. The one that I have also has a quote on it from the author of Cersei, which is another Greek mythology redone modern telling by Madeline Miller. And I agree with you, it's a, a simp- simplistic uh, graphic design approach to a cover, which is more popular right now.
1: I the is pretty, really it's not, it's, not, it's, so it's, just like
0: this. it's a pretty book. I loved it. That's why Hunter picked it out for me, is because he saw it and was like, that's oh, pretty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: a really beautiful cover, and uh, wait, that's I that's going on my shelf. I might not read that for three years, but I'm buying it. This is definitely one of those books, but it's one where... Don't don't leave it on your shelf. For you know, a couple of years, pick it up and read it. You're going to enjoy it, and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll go back and read it again if you're somebody like me who enjoys reading things multiple times.
0: So the, the cover that I made, which is just for practice, um i really like drawing women and i always choose a character that i really really like and even though i loved athena i really liked uh, calliope Calippe, the muse of epic poetry because i don't know i feel like we wouldn't have the story without her and then i wanted to reuse the amphora of the vase because that's how most greeks solidified the basis of most stories because it was an everyday household object what what do you decorate your stuff with the things that inspire you what inspires you stories of heroic feats um and i chose the classical depiction of the sack of troy the day that hector died where achilles drags him around the walls and i noticed the two book covers had that deep blue and orange so i reused them the orange is the color of, like I said, the uh, it's called Red Figure Sgraffito. I learned the Sgraffito technique in high school, it was really fun, I still have my pottery from it. And then I used the classical painting of Calippi and the other Muses assembling to uh, get her hair color and the color of her peplos or her tunic. And trina knows this i like drawing folds folding clothes curling hair yes give me the details and the shadows so that i can properly mess it up (laughs) um and like i said i made the amphora the sticker for this month and the bookmark is just a little section of that with um the quote from the very end of the book about war not ignoring half of the people it touches
1: I definitely enjoyed seeing your illustration, and I was hoping that it was the muse that you had drawn. I assumed it was, but I only followed the tributes to the original cover art, but also the personal spin that you put on it. Your Yours is better. I'm not as biased. I mean, I am, but it really is
0: better. <laughs> I appreciate that. Is there anything else that you want to say before we try and do a proper goodbye?
1: I don't think so. But again, thank you so much for recommending this to me. Uh, you've not let me down yet, so. Um,
0: we still I have just, time.
1: Yeah, there's still time, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, this, this was a really good read and it just was something that I enjoyed chewing on mentally, it tugs all your heartstrings. And it, it was definitely something that I don't know that I would have found on my own. So again, thank you for having me and for bringing this book to my attention. It was well worth
0: buying and listening to. Of course. I love reading with you. Goodbye. (laughs) All right, well that looks like everything that we had time for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked today's content, please give us a like, a comment, and maybe a follow or subscribe. I'm on Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram at The Happiest Pumpkin. If you have any recommendations, please submit them via Patreon or emailing me at mavenpage at gmail.com. That is M A E V Y N P A I G E at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you find some time to read.